Hello and welcome to the Mark and Michelle Davenport Sunday Podcast. Today, Pastor Michelle Davenport is preaching at Griffin Center Point Church, and today she is talking about paying attention to the time. Today's sermon comes from Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. I want you to turn with you in your Bibles. I think they're going to have it on uh, the screen for you as well. But in um, Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 3 is where I want to begin. And guys, if by chance, if we need to do uh, an announcement at the end, if we can work it in, I'll be glad to do that if something were to miraculously happen. So somebody just let me know, okay? But I want to read in Matthew chapter 24 and begin there in verse 3. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, and this is what it says. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and at the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. I want to talk to you today about paying attention to the time. I want to talk to you about the why behind what we're dealing with today. Now, I realize that we are dealing with a virus that we have real people that are being affected by. I realize that we have social injustice and racial injustice that is spilling over into our seats and in our streets and causing rioting and causing all kinds of mayhem right now that many of us are scratching our heads and saying, why is all of this happening? But the why is, is simply this. It, it may be the what's going on, the what can we do, or why is all of this happening? We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But I want you to understand that all the generations um, around the time of Paul the Apostle but have looked to the heavens hoping to see Jesus return. They're wanting to see the return of the Lord, but not all generation have had the signs given in Scripture uh, to line up to indicate that it could happen. But I want you to understand that we are part of that generation, that we're seeing things beginning to line up more and more and more every day. And this is not a message. Now, I grew up in the church, and uh, for those of you that are sort of somewhat old-timers like me, our Sunday night services would be those kinds of services that in case you didn't get saved in between the week, you were going to get make sure that you were re-saved again on Sunday night. Because inevitably, somebody was going to preach on the coming of the Lord, and it was going to make you afraid, and you were going to make sure that you checked all your lists to make sure, am I living right? Have Have I done everything right? Oh, Lord, forgive me of Every sin I've ever done, I can't tell you the thousands of times I've probably prayed that one. 
not having any idea if I truly was repentant sometimes of the things that I had done. But over my lifetime, I began to get greater and greater understanding of that. And so um, what's interesting about this, though, is that one of the first and most important signs that we see in our lifetime and in the lifetime of people in this room, and especially in the lifetime of Sister Stinchcomb, was that, uh, the, the, that the return of the Jews to their homeland to reestablish the nation of Israel that happened in 1948. Some of you can say, yes, I was, I was born around that time. It was foretold by the prophet Ezekiel. This is why that we as people of God, we cannot divide the word up and say, this is not important and this is important. This is why your Bible tells you to take your Bible and rightly divide the word of God. It means that there are things in the Old Testament that will only be completely revealed in the New Testament, but that if you don't read your Old Testament, you will miss the sign that it shows up in the New Testament, you won't know this is a sign. But how many of you know that when you're walking, when you're driving out on the road and you begin to see the sign that says there's a curve up ahead, you already are bracing yourself and preparing yourself for the curve that's going to come in the road. Mark and I the other night were driving in the wee hours of the night whenever his uncle passed away. We were out on the back roads back up there in the mountains and we had on our GPS system and he was in a hurry because we had heard that his uncle had passed and so we were moving quickly. And I said, why don't you hand me your phone and I will be the one to tell you which way the road is going to curve. Otherwise we may be the next funeral that they have. And they'll be telling everybody in the morning, we too have perished because that's what it felt like. So what I did was I began to watch the way that the road would move on the app that I had on my phone. And I would say, Mark, you're about to take a hard curve to the left now. So I want you to be prepared for that. And he'd say, okay. And he'd move, 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 move really quick until he began to see the road bend and then he would back off the speed and he would adjust the car for the curve. Then I would say, now you need to really slow down really, really strongly because we're about to take a real strong turn to the right. None of those things frightened him nor me because I already had a road map telling me what was about to occur. I did not have to panic. I wasn't in distress. I wasn't alarmed. I already had the road map. I already had the navigational system telling me, caution, there's a curve up ahead. Be careful because you're going to take a sharp ride. We were never in peril. We were never in fear for our life. Why? Because we already had something that would have been foreordained. It would already been predicted of how the roads were going to move. So therefore we arrived at our destination safely. Although we may have had to pray through a few times, we arrived at our destination safely because of what had been laid out for us. So I want you to understand that what is significant about this is that there had never been another nation that had ever been conquered and dispersed, that all the Jews were exiled uh, from Judea by the Romans. This is what was so confusing uh, to the early disciples. They were very, very concerned because when Jesus showed up, they thought he was going to be a political leader. They thought that he was going to come and take over Rome, and it is not what he did. He said, I am not of this kingdom. I am from another kingdom. I represent another kingdom. 
kingdom. I am here. I am king of kings and I am Lord of lords. And I know that you won't fully understand that, but I'm telling you in advance because one day when you see me coming out of the clouds of glory and on a white horse, you are going to know that I am who I said I was. I told you all the way in the beginning so that when you see the signs that start announcing my arrival and my coming, you won't panic. You won't go into fear. You won't lose your mind, but you will be aware that this ain't nothing but a sign. Take the curve, baby. Take the curve. Turn to the right, baby. Turn to the right because we are going to arrive safely in our destination. So I came to give some encouraging news to you today in spite of what we're living in. And here's the reality of these Jewish people. They had they had never, no one else had ever returned to the same place to reestablish itself as a nation, let alone it happening after 2,000 uh, two, uh, years later with every other nation in the region opposing it. If you'll go home today, or maybe you can Google it while you're sitting here, and begin to Google the nation of Israel. See that it is simply a little tiny speck on your map. And you're going, this little thing? This is what's causing wars and rumors of wars. This is what is causing all the armies of the world to encamp around about Israel. Oh, yes, it is. Because we have a king that is setting up his dominion there. That he has said, I'm going to put my foot up on that rock. And so that is why it is so heavily opposed. It is heavily uh, uh, got major, major artillery all around it. And I want you to know that you are one day going to see our literal king, not the religious king not the one that we worship in name only, but those that we have a real relationship with, that King of Kings and Lord of Lords is really going to come and put his foot on that rock where they have the rock of the, uh, the dome of the rock. He's going to put his foot on that and it's going to split it. We're going to see it. So we don't have to be afraid of these things. These are things that we will witness. So from the time of Jerusalem that was taken over by Nebuchadnezzar until May the 15th, 1948, Israel was always either under the rule of another empire or it was scattered all around the world. It's amazing to me when we read the scripture, especially in the Old Testament, especially in the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, when we read that and we see that a people group could have kept that kind of record keeping in the midst of great persecution. How was it possible? Because God had his eyes on his people. Even though there were times when they would, as the Bible would say, go a whoring. Yes, it says that. It means that they would become adulterous in their relationship. They would try to serve God and they would try to serve other gods all at the same time. And yet God would allow them at times to go through challenging seasons in order to pull them back onto the right road so that he could say, I'm going to show my glory through you, my people. Now, in case you think you and I, we've missed out because see, we were not in that original plan. That was for the nation of Israel. But we were called Gentiles. We were the people that were not of the covenant. But God said, I love you so much, I'm going to send my son to the world so that all of you can be saved. I'm going to graft you in. I'm going to adopt you into the family. This is why I get so upset at people that get nasty about Christianity. You did not get on first base first. <laughs> 
It did not start with you. It did not start with Centerpoint Church. It did not start with Griffin, Georgia. It started back before the eons of time when God said, I have a plan and I'm going to speak my world into existence. And I've already, the, the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world was ever laid. It wasn't an accident. God did, it wasn't like, oh my goodness, I can't believe Adam and Eve slipped up and fell. Oh, what are we going to do? And he was wringing his hands. God always had a plan. God always knew my people cannot do this without me. So I'm going to make a way. I'm going to make a way where we can have fellowship, where we can have communion, where we can have relationship and not religion. This is the different than us and other religions in the world. See, there are other religions that today it's not an option. Three times a day they have to put their mat down. They have to turn toward Mecca and they have to pray. I was going through a mall one day. I had cut through the back area there, and I found a man in his religious, his religious garb and his, uh, his mat there, and he was a FedEx worker. And at the precise time of the time of daily prayer, he stopped what he was doing on the job, and he prayed, not to our God, to another God. And I said to myself, if this man can stop what he's doing and pray, then where are God's people that not out of duty, not out of obligation, but where are the people of God that say it is expedient that I go away to pray and get alone with God? Where are the people of God that say, excuse me on my job, I'm taking my five and I'm going out here to pray. No, I'm not going to smoke a cigarette. No, I'm not going to get lunch. I want you to know where I'm going to be. I'll be back in five, but I'm going to pray. I came to talk to the church today. Are you ready? Okay. So even during Jesus' time, it wasn't an independent nation. It was under that Roman rule. And so this is why they were so confused. They were looking for their Messiah. They were looking for their Messiah to deliver them politically and they misunderstood the spiritual kingdom that God was bringing to the earth. I dare say that we have missed it many times as well. But he was there to teach and preach the kingdom. He was there to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God. He was telling you, I'm bringing some to the earth that you can't quite see. Oh, it's going to be revealed to you over time, but right now I'm introducing a new subject. And I'm going to give you time to try to put your mind around. And how many of you know, 2,000 years later, we're still scratching our heads trying to figure all this out. We are no different than the disciples. We are not. We are the same people just like they were and going, we are trying to get this mystery, this mysterion as the Bible calls it. We're trying to figure this thing out. We're trying to search the word. We're trying to get with the theologians and with the scholars who have done scholarly work, who've gone all the way back to the early church fathers and have written these beautiful theses and have written these, these uh, uh, words that would help us understand what it was like in the early church. And we've continued on and continued on and continued on that this, that this book was written not by, it was written by one author, yes, but through the hands of many, many authors. That still boggles my brain. And they weren't in the same town. They didn't go to the same church. They were scattered all over the place. It's amazing to me, the, the, the construct of our God and how important it was to him, the order of our God, how important it was to him to say, they got to get this. They've got to know this. This is, that, this is too important for them to miss. So when Israel became a nation in 1948, it was as if a prophetic clock that had long been halted, began counting again. Tick, 
that many of us in this room oftentimes might be kind of surprised about. We're like, we didn't even know. No one's told us about this. That's why I'm here today, to give you just an itty-bitty tiny little lesson to say, why is all of this happening? What is going on? How did a virus get loose? Why is there such? We are in a global pandemic. This is not a national pandemic. This is not a pandemic that is over here just in Italy or in China. This is worldwide. The world is now put on pause and is being forced. I'm sorry, are you saying something, God? Does somebody out there want to speak to us? And it is driving us crazy because we are so ready to just get back to normal. Just please start the clock again. We want to get going. We want to get back to routine. But could it be that in the sovereignty of God, he has allowed this pause? If, and I'm going to show you why, there could be an if on this prophetic clock So in Matthew 24 and 3, he said, what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? And he gave those distinctions. This is why I want to speak to the church today. The church is not at peacetime. We have not been at peacetime since the days of John the Baptist. The Bible says, from the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Forceful men take it. Now, so many things have been misinterpreted about that. We're thinking, so if we're thinking, oh, this is political, that means we got to be on the right political side. Oh, violent men, take it. we got to do that. He's talking about a kingdom people with a kingdom agenda who have a king, and they're operating by his understanding and by his, his decree and by his laws and by his, his uh, judicial ordinances. That's what they're operating by. They're not operating by this world system. We are, not, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. That's why that if you don't understand who you are, your peace is messed up right now. This is why you're growing with anxiety as you see the world system freaking out on us. And we're going, oh, dear God, everything we've ever known. What are we going to do now? School's not going to be in session. What in the world are we going to do? That's the world system. Now, it is the system that we've been operating in for all these years, right? That's what I'm telling you. So it's what we know. It's normal to us. But this is exactly what happened to the disciples when the king shows up and he says... (laughs) I'm taking over in a whole different way. That's why Peter, when Peter's like cutting people's ears off, he's like, chill out, Peter. Get behind me, Satan. And he just starts sticking an ear back on. He's like, you missed the whole point. You didn't get it. I'm not here with a sword. I'm not here to kill anybody. I'm not here to do that. They're going to slap me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to mock me. They're going to put a crown of thorns on my head. They're going to rip me. They're going to strip me of my clothes. And yet I still remain king of kings and Lord of lords. It may look like I'm losing on the outside, but let me assure you something. I'm doing far greater than anything that you can see. But when you understand that you're not of this world and that you are aligned yourself with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you don't have to freak out when things like this are going on. But you got to know there's a curve up ahead. You got to know you're going to have to take a hard right. You're going to have to know that so that you don't freak out when all of a sudden the road dead ends and you're like, I didn't know the road was going to dead end. Now what am I going to do? I don't know if I'm supposed to go to the right or the left. If you go back to the book, you're going to know which way to go. 
So I want you to understand that a time or a period of, of war, when we call it wartime, it means that there are strict travel regulations apply. You do understand that that's what's going on right now. We're seeing in the natural what's going on in the spirit realm. Okay? But if you're only looking with the eyes of the natural, you are probably having a little anxiety, getting a little nervous, could be getting a little depressed, could be getting a little, a little fearful, a little concerned, and you're going, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how we're going to do it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 32, I'm going to read from the New American Standard Bible this verse. It says, now learn the parable from the fig tree. And Jesus, I just need anointing to help me do what you want me to do with this. I'll preach any of this you want, but whatever it is you want me to say, that's what I need you to help me to say today. He says in Matthew 24, now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly, I say to you, don't miss this. This generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Over and over in scripture, when you read about the fig tree, it often, most often is used to represent the nation of Israel. So when Jesus is talking about the fig tree, putting forth leaves, he's talking about the blossoming of this reborn state of Israel as we already know it. Now, no matter what you feel about the current administration that is in our president's seat at this moment, this is very significant that when he stood and he declared the nation of Israel to have the capital of Jerusalem, that was a very significant moment in our time, in our lifetime. Not because you do or don't like Mr. President, but because it goes back to God's prophetic time clock that 1948, and now here we are 72 years from that moment, and now God is trumpeting through a man here on planet Earth that now his nation's capital is being reestablished. Hmm. Okay, so, so we're watching the signs. We're not freaking out. We're not panicking. We're just saying, wow, God, teach me more. So, so this reborn state was happening, and the generation that was born the year of Israel's rebirth are alive on planet Earth today. And if they were born in 1948, they are sitting in this seat right now, and they're 72 years old. Now, what's interesting about that, this is where I want to just share a few little things. I brought a few little extra notes so that I could just dig in this just a little bit. Because here's where Bible scholars begin to try to figure this thing out. And you're going, okay, the Bible says we won't know the hour, but we're going to see the signs. We'll... He said, I want you to be aware of the signs and the seasons that you're living in. So things that we are watching unfold, they may not tell us the day of Jesus' arrival. But what we do know is the clock is ticking and he could be here any minute. Have you ever had someone tell you, I'll be there in 10 minutes? What do you do? I hope what you do is you get up and you get ready. You get yourself prepared. And that as they're there, you're like, I'm ready. I'm ready to go out and meet them. I'm prepared. I'm, I'm completely ready now. Let's go. You might be running a little bit late. You might be a little bit early. But you know that in 10 minutes, your ride is going to be there. That is why the Lord puts these signs in the earth so that we can know he's getting close. The Bible says he's at the door. 
even at the door. So here's what I just want to tell you. A few little things. The length of a generation is what we have discrepancy about. What is the length of a generation? If you go back and you study all the way in the early years, early, early on, uh, there would have been a generation that would have only been 38 years that you would see that. You can go back go back in all your genealogies and study. Just look at all that. Some of them would live 100 years. Some of them, you know, would live very, very long years. So you're like, and, and also let me say this. When you study in your Hebrew, your Hebrew understanding, uh, what happens with us as Westerners, we understand time as linear. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. In the Hebraic study, they do not study time the way we do. Their study of time is cyclical. It is Abraham. Isaac and Jacob and how they all intersect. It's a timeline that God begins to reveal to us. So that is why it's like, it really, it's like, well, so maybe we won't have it completely. We won't have it precise. But we're going to hit somewhere in that area and say, could this be a sign? So, so we understand that, 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 that birth date of 1948 was definitely a beginning of a generation that would see all the events leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that was, that, was the, that was what I just shared with you with the fig tree. But here's what happened. Anybody remember 1988? No, y'all were not here. I don't know where y'all were, but I remember 1988. I don't know where y'all were, but I was here on planet Earth. Where were y'all? Yeah, okay, 1988. 1988, there were 88 reasons why the Lord would return on Rosh Hashanah, 1988. Anybody remember that? I had the book. I was out on the lake on that weekend, and I was terrified. My dad and my family, we were out on a pontoon boat. We were out fishing, and I kept thinking at any moment Jesus was going to be walking out on the lake because I thought, he is coming back, y'all. And I don't know if fish are going to start jumping out. I really don't know. that. See, that was the day I was still getting saved every Sunday night, right? So it wasn't like I was looking for him to return. It's like I was scared like he was going to be walking on the water, you know? Like, could you just stay a little bit longer? So I realized that we all have a myriad of emotions depending on where we are in our life cycle, right? But I remember that. So, so what happened with that is they based that on a 40-year life cycle, a 40-year generational cycle. Well, how many of you know 1988 came and went and Jesus did not return, right? So then we go, well, a, a generation must be longer than that. And then there's a scripture found in Psalm chapter 90, verse 9 and 10, that I don't really like the version that I have here, but, but you can look at it when you get home. But it says, for all our days are passed away in, any, in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are three score years and ten, seventy. And if by reason of strength they be four score years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. So either seventy or eighty years. So if seventy or eighty years represents the length of a generation, according to Psalm chapter 90, verse 9 and 10. We're in year 72 of that span. Are you with me? That's if we've calculated everything right. That's if everything we've got is just perfect. Now, what if a lifespan is 100 years? Then we have a little more time. What I'm trying to tell you is we are not living in a business as usual day. So for every believer, 
believers, I expect the world to want to get back to normal. We want ball games. We want entertainment. We want food. We want to go to the movies. We want to do what we want to do because that's what the world does. But as believers who are in the world but not of the world, we should be a little different. We should be saying, wait a minute. There are signs that are showing up saying there is a curve up ahead. That now we're beginning to see that we are now in a wartime moment. It did not come with a nuclear war. It did not come with us being surrounded on all sides. But now we are absolutely at a war with a virus that we cannot even see. We are dealing with these days that the Lord told us we would see on planet earth. And he said, this generation shall not pass away until all of these things begin to occur. So that tells me, where are we on this timeline? Could we be much closer than we think we are? Excuse me for one minute. I'm having technical difficulties. There we go. The Bible says in Matthew 24 and 14, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world, don't miss this, as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. Do you know what happened during this coronavirus? You're looking at it right back there on the wall. That what we could not get in our churches, we now have logging in from all over the world. Now, they may just be clicking in, clicking out, you know, hey, we'll see if we like it. We don't really like that. We'll move on. Because, you know, church is now kind of like Netflix. Eh, nah, nah. No, I think I'll watch Disney+. Plus. Uh, now I want to go to YouTube. Okay, now I'm bored with that. Let's click over here and let's watch this one. Church has now become that. If we are just doing church. But there is going to be a group of people. There's going to be a remnant in the earth, and I've already told God, I don't care what you have to do with my life. I'm telling you, I want to be in that remnant. I want to be a world changer. I know I'm going to be unpopular. You're going to have to give me some thick skin to do it because I like for people to like me, and I like not to be angry with people or sound angry or, or sound like I'm being so demonstrative. I like all that, God, but I'm going to tell you something. If you're looking for somebody to be in your little remnant, I'm your girl. Let me tell you, I am your girl. We're living in this day, y'all, and the gospel of the kingdom is being preached while we are here fighting about petty stuff. I don't like the way they change the chairs. They mess my seat up. I don't like that we have to wear a mask. I don't like that I don't get to put my offering in the offering bucket. Do you see the petty with which we have gone to? Do you see how the enemy has weaseled in like a virus into the body of Christ? And it is not a, a, a virus like something like we can inhale. It is something that we are living in. We're sitting in it and we are propagating that demonic virus of divisiveness and pettiness and gossip and slander and just foolishness in the body of Christ. I expect it from the world because they don't know any better. But the remnant, we got to get it together because the clock is ticking. And we don't have much longer. 
best case scenario that I can see, eight years. Could be off, could be wrong, could be up, could be down. I don't know. Whether it's another hundred years, let me tell you something. Those of you sitting in this room, that means we're gone. And that means we leave our children an inheritance. Do you want them to inherit this mess? We got to get on the ball. We got to get on the ball. We got to do stuff. Okay? Are you all right? Take a deep breath. I'm going to take a deep breath. I ain't mad at anybody. I preach very intensely. I'm not mad. I just, I like, I want to make sure you get it. Okay? But I ain't mad at anybody. I didn't come to throw a stone at anybody. I came to tell you, the Lord's coming. And that's a good thing. The Lord's coming, but we got work to do, okay? That's what I'm trying to tell you. We got work to do. And so if you've been one of those people and you've just been caught up with petty stuff today, you got to shake that stuff off. You just got to shake it off and say, I ain't going to stay in that mess. I didn't, know it. I didn't know that bug got on me, but I'm shaking it off. I'm not going to keep it on me. You know, we are literally, we're walking around people like, like we got the plague right now. Do you see it in the store? Do you do it like I do? How you doing? We both got a mask on. But the plague is loose in the church, but it's a different kind. And we don't realize that many of us are just smearing that nastiness on each other. And the world is out there looking for an answer. And if they cannot see the answer here, what's going to happen? And the church cannot sit in here and blast the world when we are not willing to get our own selves together to be the people of God that the world can want to emulate. If we're mean, if we're divisive, if we're judgmental, if we're critical, why would they want to come in here? Well, we just, we don't like people like that coming to our church. Maybe you need to go to a different church. Because Jesus likes those people. He let you in, whoever you are. He let me in. And I can tell you, I didn't come in lily white. Many times, too many to count. Mark was even telling me this morning, we were standing there getting ready, and I don't know why he recounts stories sometimes, but he did, and he was talking about a day when his daddy, uh, I know how it all started, he was literally, well, this is too much information, but anyway, he was just, you know, standing there cleaning his ear, that kind of stuff, and he said, Lord, I remember, he said, you know, you don't think about that stuff when you're a kid, and how your parents had to worry about all that stuff, making sure our ears were clean as kids, and stuff like that, he said, but not my dad. He said, my dad would take that big old hunking rag. He said, it's a son, come here. And he'd get him just to step into the shower. And he said, he'd soap that thing down. And he'd just, <laughs> he said, soap would go up my nose, in my eyes. He said, it was everywhere. He said, I came out clean. Can I tell you, I've had to go before God plenty of times. And he's had to get a big old rag with a lot of soap and go, girl, come here and let me clean you up. But he's done it time and time again every time I've come to him and I've humbled myself. So the Bible tells us in James chapter 5, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, until it gets the early and the late rains. You too be patient. He said, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. 
If they wrote that, if, if the book of James has written that down in the year that it was written, can you imagine how much closer we are today? He's out the door. That's why we have to understand this is not business as usual. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 36, verse 37, and there was a prophetess. Her name was Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. It says she was a little bit older and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayers. This is what I want to ask you. Do we even understand this kind of this kind of lifestyle anymore. I really wanted to depict it for you today, but I didn't want anybody to really get offended really badly at me. But so I just let me kind of sort of depict it. If I'd have really gone all the way out, you might have gotten offended. But I was going to bring my little swimming pool, and I was going to put my little lawn chair in it. And I was going to roll my, le- my sleeves, I mean, my, my legs up. And I was going to get me a bag of popcorn. I'd be like, welcome to church. Ain't it good? We didn't have to get out of our PJs today. Man, I'm at the beach, y'all. We having church. You want some more popcorn? See, if we're not careful in this age, what's just happened to us is growing a sense of comfort. I'm thankful that they can watch by live stream. I'm thankful you can too for the safety measure that we may have to go to until we all get well, until we figure out how to handle this virus. But here is my concern. Let me tell you something. At some point in time, you got to pack your PJs up and you got to put your war clothes on and you got to go out into the places where the virus and, and where the, and the highways and the hedges and the byways where you might get some mud on you, where you might get dirty, where you might get sick. The kingdom of God never was a soft kind of religion. It's always kind of been rough and tumble. Get ready to rumble. That's kind of the way it was. Y'all didn't know I could do that, did you? Let me tell you what. Let me read this first. I want to tell you that we're under psychological warfare right now. You need to 100% know That you were just not losing your mind to be losing your mind. You were not just all of a sudden feeling anxious and feeling uncertain or, or just got something in the pit of your stomach. You are under psychological warfare. Now, let me tell you what that means for just a moment. It simply means it is intended to reduce the opponent's morale. Let me just keep poking holes in you until you lose your strength. Let me keep poking holes in you until you're like, well, maybe I just can't even serve God. I can't serve God in this kind of a situation, in this kind of a pandemic. What what kind of God would want me to serve God in this? I mean, he does know I'm losing my job. He does know now I've got to homeschool my kids. I mean, what kind of a God is he? He's the one that already gave his life for all of us so that we can live eternally with him. And see, I love, I love preaching about Jesus, but there is this theology out there that is going around. And remember, it said that there will be, there will be all kinds of things that begin to move in in the church. We'll be having to deal with this, sorting this stuff out. Jesus did do everything, but he did say, go into the world and preach the gospel. 
He did say, love your neighbor as yourself. He did say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. He's not going to do that for you. He did say, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. He did say, put on the whole armor of God. He did say those things, and he said, I'm not going to do that for you. I've done my work. I'm finished, but you're not. Tag, you're it. He said, I've given you all authority. He said, all authority is given unto me both in heaven and earth. He said, but now I'm extending my authority. I'm giving you the keys to what does the Bible say? I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth must be loosed in heaven. He said, I've given you that authority on planet earth. But here's the scary part. The church is turning into Netflix. I think I'll pick a different station. I don't like this movie. And we think that our Christian life is going to cost us nothing. Sadly deceived. It cost every one of those early disciples and apostles their life. All throughout your scriptures, you see... The song today said, with my life poured out, I surrender now. I give you everything. You sang it. Maybe that's why you don't sing. You don't like the words. I'm not singing that. Sing another song. Click. Click. I'm not singing that. I don't want to sing that. I don't like that. I'm not laying my life down. But that is the, the dilemma that we are finding ourselves, especially in the Americanized church. We somehow began to think that all of this was for us. Oh, if we could, oh, let's get this. I'm telling you, this is the hottest thing out there. Let's go get us some string and let's string it up here. Put us some lights on it. We'd be fancy because we like it. I'm not mad at the string. I'm using an illustration. Take a deep breath. Ooh, we like these chairs. They are comfortable. And we want the latest and greatest lights. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be excellent. But here's what happens to us, the church. We start thinking, I don't like this program. I want a different show. And it becomes nothing more than entertainment to you and to me. And when we don't like what's showing, we change the channel. And let me tell you something, that's not the church. That's not the bride the Lord's coming back for. He's coming back for a bride who's allowed themselves to go through the sifting process, allowed themselves to be tried in the fire, in the furnace of affliction, and they've come out pure gold. These are not sissy Christians. These are people that have laid their life down and said, whatever it takes, I'm willing, God. Now, listen, we say that. Now, we don't know what the whatever is, and we have to work through our whatever because when our whatever comes, we're like, I changed my mind. I did not mean this kind of whatever. I'm telling you right now, losing my job, that was not part of my whatever. Losing my child, Oh, no, that certainly was not a whatever. And you go on and on. And listen, those are the things that we don't know. We don't know when we give our whole life to God what it's going to cost us. You mean I'm going to have to lose my spouse? You mean it's got to lose my house? I got to lose my car? I got to lose my job? I got to lose my title? I got to, you mean that, God, you want me to lay everything down? If you want to pick up his glory and his glory be seen on you in these last days, 
You don't know what it is he's going to require of you, but you got to be willing to say, God, whatever. I remember in the church when we used to sing, whatever it takes for my will to break, that's what I'll be willing to do. It says, I'll trade sunshine for rain, comfort for pain. That's what I'll be willing to do. For whatever it takes for my will to break, that's what I'll be willing to do. We don't sing that song anymore because we sure don't want God to break our will. We like it our way. Think about the American. I went back. I don't have time to bore you with all of this. But if you go back and you do your study and you study whenever we, uh, in the early 20s, and McDonald's and, and um, um, Red Lobster came on in the 40s, uh, 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 somebody else came on in the 60s. When you look at how, when the Industrial Revolution came into our nation, assembly lines, then it's like the golden arches. You can have it your way. Woo, have it your way. Here's the problem. We came into the church, and we want McDonald's. We want Burger King. That does not work in the kingdom. It didn't work for the early church, and it's not going to work for the last day remnant. And remember what the Lord said. He said, pray for the laborers. Let me tell you, look around in the church. You're the laborers. You're all he's got. Wow. Have you thought about that? I think about that all the time. Twelve ordinary men, and he trusted them with the gospel of the kingdom. I would never have been able to go back to heaven. I'd say, listen, God, we got to change the plan. These boys do not have it. They do not have it. I'm telling you, and I don't know if they're ever going to get it. But the Lord knew. He knew, and he knows us, and he knows he's entrusted this to us. And should we be off on our calculations, and should the Lord tarry another several hundreds of years, but be cautious, I don't think he will. But should he tarry, what will our children inherit? We were talking about the saints of old that are going home to be with the Lord. I have four friends. Each of them have lost one of their parents to the COVID disease in the last two weeks. Mighty men and women of God that have stood in pulpits, that have sang in choirs, that have been lay people in the church. They have now gone, I loved what he said the other night, to glory. Whew, I love that. You old timers ought to remember that when we used to say that. Where'd they go? They're not lost. They've gone to glory. They've gone to where the glory is, the glory of God. That's where they are. So they're not lost. But this is what I want you to understand. The Moses era is being moved up. So those of us that remain as Joshua's, we got to know how to run this race all the way across the finish line. Let me give you the last few thoughts here. I could tell you a lot of things. There's economic warfare, family warfare. We've got to be engaged. Here's the last couple things I want to share with you, and then I'll hush. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. You may be wondering, you may be saying, Michelle, I don't understand what y'all are doing in the church. This whole thing is weird. 
why are we not doing classes? Why can't we go back to classes? Because right now we need to do what I'll call aerial warfare. Now, some people still don't understand it. Some people still are not going to get a part of it. They just don't want to do it, and they think that prayer ought to be regulated to a little prayer team, a little intercessory team. Shame on us. It wasn't the way it was in the first church. You read your Bible all throughout the New Testament, you will see while they were on their way to the hour of prayer. Multiple times a day they went to the hour of prayer. And yet we just call one prayer meeting and we can't get people to come. Now, I'm not trying to slap you on the hand. I'm just trying to help you understand the mindset of the American church. And it doesn't mean you have to come to church to pray. You can pray at home. I understand all of that. But this is where pastors, preachers, leaders of any kind get frustrated. You can go out to eat. You can go to ball games. You can go shopping. But you can't come and sit in a church and pray. You see how we got our, our methods, are all, we're mixed up. Do you see what I'm saying? We've got our priorities out of order. That's what I'm trying to help you say. But Michelle, you don't understand. I work. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus worked. They were tent makers. Those men that would travel, they, they worked along. They, they left their fishing, their fishing uh, uh, business, and they followed the Lord. Well, I have to work, yes. But, but the Bible says pray continually. Pray in the spirit at all times. But I want to tell you what aerial warfare is just in a natural sense. It's battle space use of military aircraft and other flying machines in warfare. It includes bombers attacking enemy installations or a concentration of enemy troops or strategic targets battling for the control of airspace. Now, remember that we are fighting against what the Bible says, the prince of the power of the air. The enemy is the prince of the power of the air. How do you, how do you justify that when you go, but Jesus is king? Yes, he is king. A prince is lower than a king. But he is still prince of the power of the air. So that means that when we pray, we are now fighting aerial warfare. That means that when we pray, we literally are throwing bombs on the enemy's camp, throwing bombs of confusion into his territory. It means that when he turns those fiery darts and puts them in our camp, that when we bring up our shield of faith, it quenches every fiery dart that the enemy throws against us. But this is why I am convinced that we have the people of God that are really, I keep using the word, kind of freaking out, because what happens when you have psychological warfare, it comes so hard, it causes you to be off your base. It gets your morale down as an opponent, and now he's got you where he wants you, and it's a matter of him just knocking you down for the final count. If you forget who you are, you can be taken over. But you have to remain steadfast. You have to remain steadfast in prayer. Prayer is one of the things that is an absolute necessity This is a quote that, that I'm reading here. It says, in its beginnings, prayer is so simple that even a small child can pray. It is at the same time the highest and holiest work to which anyone can rise. It is fellowship with the unseen and most holy one. The powers of the eternal world have been placed at its disposal. It is the channel of all blessing and the secret of power in life. Through prayer, God has given to everyone the right to take hold of him and his strength. 
So you got to pray in the spirit at all times. You've got to pray in the spirit. The Bible tells us in John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17, uh, that, that he, uh, that he said he would not leave us as orphans, but he would send us the Holy Spirit to be in us. We are not on planet earth fighting a coronavirus, COVID 15, 17, 19, 27. We are not fighting that without somebody living inside of us who knows how to combat things in this world. He knows how to give us strategy. He knows how to tell us, put your mask on, take your mask off. Don't go over there. Take the curve this way. He knows how to give us strategy moving forth. Unless you think this is bigger than God and he doesn't have an answer that he can't give to somebody and say, here is the absolute solution to cure that, then you get to, you need to get to know Jesus. The Bible says in Romans 8, 26, that at the same time, the spirit also helps us in our weakness because we don't know how to pray for what we need, but the spirit intercedes along with our groans that cannot be expressed in words. People say, do you need the Holy Spirit on planet earth? I wouldn't live without him. You can doctrinally figure that out all that you want, but I'm telling you right now that in this last day, if I were you, I would position myself before God and I would say, I'm not leaving until I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I need the anointed one living in me like that. I need a prayer language. I need something that I can throw bombs on the devil's camp with and I will stay here until you fill me, until you endue me with power from on high. I need to know how to have the fire of God in my belly so that I know how to fight fire with fire. If the enemy's going to throw fire into my camp, I better have some fire in my belly to fire back at him with. Thirdly is you got to pray at all times. Paul called us to pray continually in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18. He says, rejoice always. How many of you have been rejoicing? Have you really? Praise God. Ten of you have. That means the rest of us, 80% of us in here, we have not been rejoicing. There are days I have not rejoiced. I'm just going to be honest with you. I've had to say, girl, you got to get yourself together. You got to rejoice in the Lord always. It says he, he called us to rejoice, always pray continually. He said, give thanks in all circumstances. What? Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. See, the Lord knows something about thanksgiving and praise It is an antidote to depression, discouragement, despair, despondency, disheartedness. He knows that. When you get your mind off your problem and you get your mind on God, you cannot be depressed. Because you begin to think about the sovereignty of God. And you're like, God, you are so good. You're so wonderful. Now, let me just pause right there. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I realize that there are people that deal with a real medical condition. Of, of depression. I'm talking about just when you get blue or when you just get anxious. I'm not talking about real medically diagnosed things that might have to have some real assistance for. That's, I'm talking about something where you're just thinking about the wrong things and now you're all discouraged and your lip is hanging down on the ground and you're just like, woe is me. Sometimes all you got to do is just turn your face up and say, God, I look to you. My redemption is near. You're here. Help me, God. And fourthly, pray on every occasion. I told the story last week just in fun about being prepared, praying in all, on all occasions. I have a little place. I go to every house because I grew up in Texas. I'm always tornado prepared. I've watched too many tornadoes go across property in front of me. 
thunderstorms. I've sat on highways and watched them go across the road until I could get past them. I've come up behind them. I've sat under underpasses as they would go beside me. I've been around in tornadoes. I don't like them. They're not my friend. Mark and I had gone to preach in West Virginia uh, one, one year, and I had fallen asleep right after we had finished, and I woke up suddenly, and I said, where are we? And he began to tell me, and I said, no, no, you need to pull over right now. And he said, Michelle, there's no, I said, pull this car over to the side of this hill because you and I are probably about to have to get out of this car. He said, why? It's just, I said, I'm telling you, get over. As soon as I said it, all of a sudden, these big old uh, uh, quarter size hail began to drop down. And I mean, that thunder, that, that tornadic cell was right on top of us. He said, oh my Lord, how did you know? Men. I'm kidding. 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 It was called living in tornado land. That's how. I'm like, you've watched the rotation and you've, you've studied it for your whole life. And I'm like, I could see it. We, had, we needed to be ready to get out of this thing. We were able to ride it out and it went right over the top of us and we were fine. But in this little place in my house, I always get prepared. And one of the forecasters told me, meteorologists said one day, now listen, in your little storm place, you need to have some tools so that if in the event of a storm, you're prepared when the storm is over. And they said, you need to have your tennis shoes, and you need to have your bike helmet and get your flashlight. And so I did that. And Mark and Alora still make fun of me, but I don't care. I told them, don't ask me where your bike helmet is when the tornado comes. Because it will be hidden somewhere, and good luck finding it. But I am prepared. I have my little granny tennis shoes so that in the event of a storm, I am prepared to be able to walk all over all kinds of stuff. I told them, I said, listen, I've been in some precarious situations. And I said, I just believe that if the Lord wants me to go to heaven, he'll take me. Otherwise, they're going to have that CNN camera zoom in on me, and I'm going to be coming out of all that debris. And I'm going to have my bike helmet and my granny shoes and my flashlight and say, the Lord has brought me safely through this storm. I hope I don't have to ride one out like that. But that I am praying on every occasion. I'm staying alert. I'm staying watchful. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit will alert you. He will alert you like an alarm that wakes you up in the middle of the night. That all of a sudden you're awake at 3.20 in the morning. And you're like, why am I awake at 3.20? Nobody's supposed to be up at 3.20. And all of a sudden you feel the alert of the Holy Spirit. You just need to pray. You may not even know exactly who you're praying for, but the Holy Spirit needs to pray through you. He needs somebody on the earth. He needs an ambassador who have their feet as ground warfare on the ground to begin to speak aerial warfare from right here on earth so that as it is in heaven can be on earth. He looking for us to be his representatives. But we're busy being at Netflix church. Man, this is good. Did you hear that? That's good. And we have no, no intention whatsoever to live it out or to walk it out. Church has become nothing more than another form of our entertainment. And we pick which church has the best show going. Who's got the best sound? Who's got the best lights? You know, I couldn't care less. I could pre I promise y'all. I tell Mark all the time, can we just leave everything? Can I just find me? I went the other day and I looked at a church and I said, can we buy this? I just want to come here and preach got little red little things on the thing on the on the benches hard benches stinky musty 
probably don't have a really good, I said, can, can we just, can I just come here and tell people that don't care about anything but the presence of God, if you want to come to the presence of God, will you come to this place? We're not going to put any lights. We're not going to put a fancy sound system. We're going to come and gather to be in the presence of God. That's what my heart longs for. I long to be around people. I don't hate people. I just, I just know what time it is. I live every day with that intensity of knowing what time it is. And when people just want me to be pulled into petty stuff, I'm like, I can't, I can't do petty right now. I feel that urgency in my spirit. Time is short. And I know, Davis, it's hard to be a young person, a young, a young pastor with us because sometimes it's like, can we just have some fun? Can we get pastors? Can we just go have fun? And we're going, we just need to pray and we got to see God. He's going, can we, can we just go beat the volleyball for five minutes? And there's got to be balance. There's got to be balance. The Lord doesn't want, he doesn't mean for you to be here 24-7 all the time. But Anna the prophetess was. There will be people that are called to that. Maybe that's who I'll be as Anna. Maybe I'll be the one that lives in the temple. I just want to be where God's presence is. He's done too much for me. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this world will not make it without them knowing Jesus. They will, it will not, it will not get better. It's not the political system. It doesn't matter which side of the line you fall on. It doesn't matter who you fight for. It is still a system on planet earth that just like the Romans are just like the disciples were saying, did you come to take over Rome? No, I came to take over the world. I'm the king of this whole planet. This is nothing but an inferior system that you're operating in. Can't you get your eyes up to see it? That, that, that D, Jesus didn't just come to die for America. He did not. See, I've, that like dropped like a balloon. Are you offending our country? No, not at all. I thank God that we live in this land of the free and the home of the brave. That's why we're so up in arms right now because we're like our freedoms are being assaulted. You bet they are. It's not because we're America. It's because we are people of God. And there's a people of God that are in this nation that say this is a nation that believes in God. And we want biblical ways to be in operation here. But listen, the disciples wanted it too. And they were still living under Roman law. And while they were living under Roman law, they still had to be kingdom citizens. And the Bible says they were people that turned the world upside down. They turned over governments and governors, and they made a stir everywhere that they went. And they did not do quiet, nice, reverent, chick flick, popcorn eating, coffee drinking, church. I've tried to tell you, we've tried to tell you, we have to change our mindset as to who we are as Christ followers. The Bible uses the Greek word, the ekklesia. The ekklesia was a word that was chosen that the Romans would understand. It was a governing council in the earth that the writers in the New Testament chose to use that same word when they described the church of the living God on planet earth. We would be the spiritual governing body on the planet. That God would speak as a commanding general to us, give us the marching orders, and we would then go and carry them out. 
every time we come to church, we're going to rejoice. We're going to be blessed by God's presence. His presence, his glory is going to come. It's going to infill us. He's going to strengthen us. He's going to lift burdens off of us. But when we hear the word of God, it is a charge to us. It is a charge. I charge you, therefore. That's what he told Timothy. I charge you, therefore, to go and preach the gospel. Be instant in season. Be out of season. You've got to go and spread the good news of Jesus Christ wherever you go. It is not okay to keep it within these four walls, no matter how pretty we make this building. And it is beautiful. And we thank God for the incredible edifice that he's given this local assembly. But do you know that there are churches right now that are locked out of their buildings because they hold thousands? They are not meeting in a building like this today. They cannot. Call it persecution. Call it virus. Call it whatever you want. I call it the time is ticking. What will we do in America if we become like China? And we cannot meet in a building like this any longer. Will we be a part of the great falling away? Or will we see a great revival, the likes of which have only been told to us in the word of God, that the spirit of God will breathe one more time across this planet and do the greatest sweeping in for the kingdom of God that this world has ever seen just before the return of his son, Jesus. Time is ticking. Prayer is essential to where we are in this season. We cannot get swept up in this psychological, natural, economic, divisive mess that the enemy is throwing at the people of God. We cannot. We cannot succumb to it. We cannot. We cannot be saying, how come you're wearing a mask? Put your mask on. I don't want to wear a mask. We can't be doing that foolishness. If you want to wear a mask, if you need me to wear a mask to make you feel safe, I'll put the mask on. I don't have a problem with it. I'm free underneath my mask. And let me tell you something. Most of what Paul wrote in the New Testament, guess where he wrote it from? In a jail cell. Will you be like Paul and Silas when you get, if you get locked up? Will you be praising God at midnight? Is that the church that we are a part of today? Because Netflix church is not going to cut it in these days. He said nation's going to rise against nation. See, that's what I'm saying. This is a wake-up call for us. God's issued a wake-up call. He's waking us up, church. He's saying, come out of your slumber. Come out of your sleep. Quit hitting the snooze button. My time is coming. It's coming short. And I know that everything's being shifted around. And you're going, I don't know what in the world is going on. This is the time where we got, we got to get back in the word. We've got to get back on our knees. We've got to say, God, let us hear. Let me tell you something. The Lord is speaking if we will listen. I can't hear God. You've got to get still. Be still and know that I'm God. And listen, getting still is hard right now. It's hard to still your mind. You try to read. You can't concentrate. I know that's called psychological warfare. Sometimes you have to go in a room, pick a small room, pick a closet if you have to. Find you some worship music and say, you know what? I'm going to do nothing else but sit here, and I'm going to let the word from this worship just wash over my spirit. By the the way, Dwayne, you just come on. Since we're saying worship, you just come on, will you? a perfect time. I'm wrapping it up. I'm landing the plane. Hang with me. And you think, I I don't even know what would I play. It doesn't matter. 
play something that gets your mind on God and gets your mind off of your circumstance. Whatever your circumstance is, get your mind off of it. And say, God, I will wait on the Lord. I will wait on you. I will get my mind still before you. In the book of Psalm, I think it's either chapter 139 or uh, 139, 141, I believe it is. It says, set your heart. Set your mouth. You've got to be willing to set it. Like you set a dial on a radio and say, this is the station I want to listen to. You've got to set that thing. And you have to be very intentional because the enemy is not going to go, oh, Crystal, let me make it easy for you. While you're trying to listen to your worship music, he's going to be throwing every kind of dart at your mind that he can worry in you. I don't know what I'm going to do about homeschool. Who's going to keep my child? Who's going to, how, who, who am I going to get as a babysitter? I don't have extra money to pay a babysitter. Who's, how are we going to get food for that? You know what they're talking about? It's taking my job. I, am I going to have a job? What am I going to do about my 401K? He's going to be bringing everything to your mind to make you doubt that God is in control. But what you have to do is you have to take your thought captive. And you have to say, God, your word says to bring it into the obedience of your word. And your word says, I'm on a prophetic time clock. That all of this is just what you told me was coming. But you told me that to pray always. Pray in the spirit. Pray at all times. Stay alert. Stay Let me tell you something. You need to know this not only for yourself, but for your family members. You don't need to be telling them doom and gloom stuff. You need to be telling them, you better get ready. Jesus is coming. I'm telling you, it's time to get ready. Jesus is coming. We're about to go to the glory. I don't know if it's going to be eight years. I don't know if it's going to be two years. I don't know if it's going to be this year. I don't know if it's going to be a decade from now. But listen, we're going to the glory. And Jesus is appearing even now. Do you know that there are Muslim people in foreign countries right now that Jesus is showing up in their dreams too? He's, he's, he's just, he's showing up. How crazy is that? He wants none of us to perish. None of us. Even the person you hate the most, he doesn't want them to perish. Might make you mad, but that's how God works. Stand with me, will you? Thank you for listening to today's Sunday podcast. If you'd like to keep up with the latest podcast, please subscribe to the Pastor Mark and Michelle Davenport podcast in Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and Spotify. If you'd like more information about City Light Church, please visit citylightchurch.net. Or if you'd like more information about Griffin Centerpoint Church, please visit gcpcog.net.